and welcome to the Product Science Podcast, where we're helping startup founders and product leaders build high-growth products, teams, and companies through real conversations with people who have tried it and aren't afraid to share lessons learned from their failures along the way. I'm your host, Holly Hester-Riley, founder and CEO of H2R Product Science. This week on the Product Science Podcast, I'm excited to share a conversation with Beth Toland. Beth is the head of experience research at Asana. A seasoned researcher with a passion for data-informed design, Beth leads the user research team at Asana, working closely with the product team to drive the company's strategy. Prior to joining Asana, Beth led user research teams at consultancies, design agencies, and larger in-house companies, spending her early career at AOL and Sapient. Beth has a BA in museum studies and an MFA in communication arts and designs from Virginia Commonwealth University. Welcome, Beth. I'm super excited to talk with you today. Thanks, Holly. Me too. So I always like to start by just hearing a little bit about how my guests have have gotten into the industry and the role. So how did you get started? Yeah, I was thinking about this. I, you know, I don't know if my route was any more or less circuitous than other people's routes, but it feels pretty circuitous. Um, so as you mentioned um, in my intro, I uh, started out as a um, museum studies major. And uh, then I realized that there was just not a lot of work in museum studies. And so I went back for um, graphic design, like the paper kind. So um, my uh, degrees are in museum studies, photography, and then in, um, in actual graphic design for print. So when I graduated, I decided that um, I could parlay this museum studies degree into uh, something web-related. I thought if I could help people navigate the space of a museum, surely I could do that online and help people navigate the space of um, websites. Um, And so that's how I made it from the print world into the web world. And then from there, I think I've had just about every job there is to have um, from information architect to designer. The only thing I haven't done is engineering. Um, Mm -hmm. um, And then I went to Sapient and Sapient is where I, you know, really learned to love um, the world of experience research. And so that's sort of the long and short of like ending up in this particular um, discipline. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I think, um, Museum studies. Is, this is the first time someone's told me that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a popular. Um, it's not a popular major, as you could imagine. Um, but yeah, there were far less jobs than I than I thought. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. I'll go be, I'll go be a, a registrar. I'll be a, um, you know, gallery owner. And you know, that's those are bad business ideas for for somebody mm-hmm. who wants to make some money. Um, and it's such a switch, you know, from the kind of art world that you learn about. I think the same thing about design, right? The the art world you learn about and the art world you work in are very different, you know? Yeah. You know, that's, that was, that was true for chemical engineering too, which is what I studied. So ah. even in the, even in the harder areas, what you learn about and what you study and then what you do when you go to the business world and someone pays you for it, they're not really the same. They're not the same. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So tell us more about Sapient. Um, How did you get involved there and what sort of things did you work on? Yeah, Sapient. So that was like my second um, real job. I I started at Anderson Consulting, um, which is like very formal, straightforward consulting, which is like complete opposite of all the things that my um, design, fellow design graduates were doing. But uh, I kind of like got my chops there and then I went to Sapient, which to me felt really fancy and cool. Um, 
And what was really neat about Sapien at the time is there it was a very strong culture. The rigor was very high. Um, and so that's where I feel like I, I learned to refine a lot of my skills and like really um, have a great appreciation for each of the disciplines in their own right. So like information architecture as, as, as a discipline in and of itself, the value of that understanding systems and how they all work together. And then the expertise of designers and how that worked. And so you really had to kind of pick a major, you know, you were one, you, you were kind of didn't, weren't as multidisciplinary, you picked a major and a minor. Mm-hmm. And I feel like over the years, we've seen some kind of bl- like blurring of lines and not the greatest of way. I feel like we're kind of refining our, our um, honing our skills now. But like at the time, you just really had this discipline and this practice and, and you were really great at it. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I feel like I was really able to kind of get a deep learning like apprentice model, as I say, because I didn't go to school for um, for the same things that people are going to school now. Like I told you, I was a print designer. So I was had a really great opportunity to learn on the job um, by the apprentice model there of like, what does it mean to be a great information architect? And what does it mean to be a great project manager and have those skills? Yeah. And then at the time, we also um, had acquired eLab, which was sort of like an early peer to IDEO. Okay. And that's where I learned the type of research that our team practices now. And that I know a lot of researchers do, but it's not as common, um, I think, as some other ways of practicing, which is like really thinking about the business implication of the research that you're doing mm-hmm. um, and, and focusing more on strategy and um, planning, you know, influencing the roadmap and the company with your work. That was really where I learned was where I learned to, to love that and, and to learn from some of the greatest people Um in the industry at the time was at Sapient. Oh, wonderful. Uh, it's interesting. You know, there's a part of me that has sort of a knee-jerk reaction to what you just said. And I want to be like, well, obviously research influences the strategy at companies, right? But maybe not. Tell me more why you said it that way. Yeah, because um, in fact, I had the same reaction, uh, I knew probably maybe three or four years ago, I was on a listserv and um, there was quite a divisive conversation um or maybe healthy conversation I don't know know if if anybody took um you know took up arms or anything but um but the idea of like there's a um one mindset that is like what we do as research is we point out the problems and we prioritize your problems Mm. and you can go fix them and it's and it's very UI focused it's very um web you know you kind of interaction focused and then there's another side of the spectrum that is like um Hey, we can identify problem areas for you. You didn't even know this was this was a problem that you were um, facing. This is an opportunity for you, and here's some ways that you might solve it. Like, let's work together to figure out how we could solve this problem together. And I'm way more on that side of the spectrum than I am on the other. But I learned in this debate that was happening that there's there's a, you know quite a number of people who are on the other side of the spectrum, and that's completely valuable too. It's just not how you know. Um, where my heart lies. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, there are a lot of different ways to do research. And sometimes we get kind of cut caught in our spaces, you know, where the way it works at our company or, in, you know, among yeah. the people that we know and don't realize that it, it it's done differently in other places. Um, I know certainly early in my tech career, that was a bit of a rude awakening when I went to some different companies and got to see like, wait, 
I thought what I was doing was normal. That's what I read in the books and that's what we did. Yeah. It's not always the case. You might not have been reading the same books. It's not. Yeah. And I think you're so right. It's like, um, it has so much to do with where you are. It's a company that you are. Cause I often get asked of like, you know, how, how do you sell or how did you get people to invest and have ideas? And I just, as, you know, being the very first researcher at a very small company, um, they already believed and so I didn't have to do a lot of hefty lifting. I did that in other companies, but in this, in, in where I am in particular, that's just not um, a topic of conversation that we have to have ever. We just have a, a huge ton of support from leadership, from product and um, all over. So um, it does, it has a lot to do with where, where you are and what the company believes in. Yeah. So uh, what are some of the like interesting stops on your journey after Sapient and before Asana? Uh, let's see. I... I think you also said at the top I was at AOL. Um, so I worked on email and messenger. I, so one of my, um, somebody on my team recently said they would like one interesting product that they would love to have worked on was um, AOL instant messenger. And I was like, Oh, fun fact. I actually, <laughs> I actually did that. Um, wow. So, 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 so early on, I think another interesting, like kind of little um, turn is that I, when I went after I left there, I was a recruiter for a little bit, but mm-hmm. a recruiter of like designers and things like that, because I just had connections into the community. And I think then maybe the other interesting one um, was working at The Economist. There's a division of The Economist called the Intelligence Unit. And, and I worked there not exactly as a researcher, even though I did um you know, some researcher type of things, but I acted more kind of like a product manager type of there and and got really cool experience with um, data visualization. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What was, I mean, were you on a team that built software for The Economist or was this more of a generalized, like including their content and and editorial? It was a very specialized team. And and what we did is we worked with um, the team of Economist researchers, like they research, um, you know, um, food safety in the world and they would come up with indexes so we have so we worked a lot with indexes and we would partner with other um, major uh, companies who wanted to fund this research and then there would be a partnership and then once you have this data of like what, what does food security look like in the world what does um, what does it look like for the retail industry in, you know over the next couple of years or um, was another cybersecurity was another one that mm-hmm. we worked on um, these companies would want to have a position on them they would need research in order to have that position and so we would put those things together and then put like a, a user face on that to interact with the data and, and mm-hmm. kind of manipulate um, and say oh what if what if we changed the GDP of this company or of this of this country what would that look like and that kind of thing so um, so it was, it was sort of a niche part of um, of the economist and it was we were own, our own little tiny team um, yeah. that, that did this work but it was really cool because um, is really scrappy and inside of a big company or it wasn't that huge, but kind of a more um, standard, you know, like traditional type of company. Yeah. Which is a bit of a, I guess a theme in my career. I think all, most of my career I've been maybe all of it. And like this one little niche of like pocket of, of innovation or, mm-hmm. or goodness in, in some really big, big companies um, and that was that's one example of that. Yeah. So one of the things you often hear from people who work on, you know, 
innovation focus groups within larger companies is about the tension that there is. Like, did you experience that in the role you were in? So not in that particular role, but a hundred percent. Yes. Um, I was connected to uh, um, an innovation team, gosh, at AOL and at, um, at revolution. And there is that tension because like that group, that group gets to do the fun stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, and the people inside, it's same with like when you hire agencies and stuff, right? Like they get, yeah. they're the ones who get to do the discrete fun work um, and the internal folks don't. So um, I have to say like, so not at The Economist, like that, that we didn't have that problem because it wasn't taking work for, away from anyone. It was this very specialized, you know, thing that we did. Yeah. I And I wish I had like great stories of like but we fixed it not this time we like right. the, the tension was there and we fixed it like I have not really been in a um an environment where there has been this like st strategy you know kind of um team the SWAT team mm -hmm. inside of another group and that's like worked out well but just yeah. I haven't yeah no I hear that that's um neither have I <laughs> So our two data points here are not making that look like a good plan, but yeah. uh, <laughs> you never know. Um, so tell us more. I mean, I'm super fascinated about you working on AOL Instant Messenger because I've, I, you know, I, as like many people, I used it a lot. So what did you do for that? Um, I worked on the, on like the UI, on, on the, the, on the UI yeah. that I had come from Sapient mm -hmm. at the time. And it was a very different like way of working. Mm -hmm. um, so, like I like I explained, right uh, at Sapient, I was making incredibly detailed um, IA specs and their wireframes, and they were annotated and I mean, like pristine stuff. And AOL was like, quick, 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 mm -hmm. take a Photoshop screenshot of this, add a button, and like add a thing here. And I, I was like, what? Ah. Uh. I don't know where that button would go. They're like, don't worry about it. We've got to review at five. Like, <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm not used to this. So it swung my pendulum the other way for how to work more quickly, um, how to kind of like build up a product intuition, how to, how to like understand a, a product very deeply. Because at the same time, I came with my fancy um, wireframes to this, to my first end review. And they were like, oh, people are going to, going to like hack in this way and people are going to hack in this way. And I was like, why would anyone do this? Like I have, what are you talking about? So mm -hmm. it also built up this like rigor of product that I didn't have, right? Because Sapient was agency and we were consulting. And so, you know, we got to do a lot of big, big picture thinking. And mm -hmm. then we kind of handed it off at that time. We handed off, it was a very waterfall-y type of approach. Um, but then AOL kind of taught me like how to move more quickly and how to have a product uh, mind, mm -hmm. which I thought was, was, was really valuable and um, like got me kind of like closer to leadership in a way. It was just, it was, all, it was like a very startup kind of environment when I think about it back now, but you know, Interesting. you could, you could, you could um, instant message like, you know, the head of product. And I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's close. You know? Yeah. So what was the one you mentioned in the middle there? You said AOL, you said 
The Economist. Oh, I was a recruiter for a while. I, like, you know, oh, yeah. it's just one of those like weird things that is so valuable because like I said, I've got to done everything. So now as like a hiring manager, you know, when I interface with my recruiting partners, it's really, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I, I know the problems that you're having. I know when you say this thing, what you're, what you're talking about. And like, I know it's a realistic timeline for, for getting folks in. So recruiting has come such a long way. I mean, gosh, it's like, they're so, they're such strategic partners now um, mm-hmm. than, than when I was, was doing it. But still, it's, again, it's like very helpful to round out the picture of what I do right now. Yeah, that's really interesting. So um, how long have you been at Asana? Well, I'm coming up on my seventh year. Wow. That's like as old as my daughter. I know. <laughs> it's crazy. I think you could have a first grader at Asana. <laughs> I, um, I think before that, like the longest time I was at any place was like two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like you look at my CV, it's like two, two and a half, two, two. Um, no, mine too. I, uh, I've been at my own company for almost four years now, and that is the longest stretch I've ever done. I'm so glad I didn't have to leave my own company. The culture is so great, right? <laughs> I didn't get fed up with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that. So what, um, what has the journey at Asana been like? Like, what did you start out doing and what that look like? Yeah, so um, I started out as the first researcher. And mm-hmm. that was the third time that I've um, helped to start up a team. And mm-hmm. I just, at the time when I saw the this role come through about seven years ago, I was like, whoa, people still need researchers. Like they have, not all the companies have figured it out and gotten one yet. What luck. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course now, you know, there's still lots of really great companies who are um, for getting their first um, researcher and stuff. But that that was my, my journey. I was the very first researcher there. There was like a product manager, another one who had just joined, and then a handful of, couple, few designers and, and you know, a good amount of uh, engineers because we, mm-hmm. we were kind of um, founded by engineers and product. But um, they had such belief and understanding the problem space and the customer. And the other important thing is that I really wanted to hear the truth. Mm, that's fantastic. And man, I can't tell you that's probably one of the kind of biggest um, things that has allowed this team to thrive and continue to the way it, it has been. Aside from our head of product, who's really just like helped us um, continue the the journey but you know the co-founders just they had strong beliefs um but they were so open to hearing difficult truths Mm -hmm. they welcomed it and they challenged us for it and i think that's one of the things that often you um people say that they want out of a role like research and they don't really mean it yeah were you able to discern that in the beginning like were there any tells where you could realize that they really meant it, that you'd be able to do that there? Yeah. So, I mean, early on we would have, um, you know, product reviews. Everybody has a variation on that theme. And in those product reviews, our co-founder, um, JR was, you know, he was in there, he was leading them and then, um, and then, you know, pulled back a little bit to let some of the other um, design leaders participate, but he's fully in there and he would, um, 
poke at a, at a, at an insight that I'd have push at it and then just be like, you know, we'd have a really um, deep conversation about it. And then he would say, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's like, I get it. Thank you. Um, and it was nice because it really, those conversations with him and with anybody that we can have them with really, I think fortifies your work. It makes it better because it does, you, you get poked at and you're like, Ooh, point I hadn't thought about. Okay. Going to have to refine that. Yup. Yup. And so it was very much a dialogue. It was very, very collaborative. And that like collaborative environment, not like I'm going to do a readout, right? Like I think a lot right. of people say that a readout, I'm just going to tell you the information. And it wasn't like that. And it's still not like that for us. It's like, we've got some um, things that we've learned and that we're learning. And we want you to be a part of this conversation. And you asking me questions, asking me hard questions will um, help me um, refine and get to the real answer. So um, there've been, you know, plenty of times where we've had a back and forth. Um, and it's interesting to do that with a co-founder who's like, I mean, what were they there? Maybe like three or four years before me. So they've like, they've got some experience. They know the product, they know the space. And so, you know, they would even ask just like, um, I, I believe this thing, but I, I also uh, believe that there's another way like prove me wrong kind of a thing. And so it was very healthy um, debate culture um, that mm-hmm. made me feel like, yeah, you, you really want to hear it. Yeah. That's, that's sort of the dream. I think. <laughs> I know it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's really what you want. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's talk more about research at Asana. Like what does the process look like? It's, I've, I've read some of the things that you've put out into the world and um, it sounds it sounds like a really sort of mature and well-operating place. And I'm, I'm curious to hear more. Yeah, I, I think so. I think we, we are always, um, you know, kind of striving, you know, for that maturity, but at the kind of the, the place that we are in growth in the company, things are kind of always changing. And so you're always having to just sort of like adjust and, and things, uh, which is, one of the reasons why I love being here so much is because I enjoy that environment. I enjoy the unknown and, and, um, and uh, that kind of thing. Um, so the way we operate now is we are, our, our um, product areas in pillars. I think everybody's got some variation on that theme too, right? We happen to be in pillars and um, we're generally um, allocated to those pillars, Mm-hmm. We had been on a program level. We had been really um, like, y- you will work on mobile and this area and this area and this area. Um, mm-hmm. But we're finding as we're growing that we're sort of um, evolving and moving further and further up the double diamond, which is the kind of um, general design process that we follow. Again, pretty common. Um, but you know, when I first started, I was sort of doing like a little bit down, like, okay, evaluative, let me help you get get comfortable with this and then go go back up here and think about more strategic kind of work. And um, as a whole, as a team, we've sort of been marching further and further up um, Mm -hmm. the double diamond. And so we're now seeing our projects and things um, shift to be more cross pillar. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not as neatly contained. And I think a lot of our work in in general, in the product area is happening like that just because of the maturity of where we are in our product life cycle. Um, But 
so we, we are um, hugely collaborative with our uh, fellow disciplines. So um, we don't have a research, go figure this out and come back and let us know how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's design is very involved. Engineering PM is super um, interested to hear what uh, customers and potential customers will want to say and hear um, very close to customer success. So we leverage them a ton. Mm-hmm. Um not only to access customers, but um, as proxies. So mm-hmm. trying to get creative with our work. Yeah. What is the role of the product person in, in the process there? So we work with product on a, on a couple levels, right? So I work closely with them on boring stuff like staffing, mm-hmm. like resourcing and stuff like that. Um, but we'll also ask them to identify, like, what are your big questions that you're going, like, at the pillar level? Like, what's kind of eating away at you? Like mm-hmm. from a pillar perspective, from a strategic perspective, what do you feel like would inform your entire pillar? So we ask questions like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the, and then there are program PMs. And so we ask them like about your particular program area, like what, what do you want to know about your program? And then it's a dance at that level. It becomes a dance of them asking, um, helping us, helping to have them to refine their questions and say like, these are questions you don't really need the answer to you can just go and mm-hmm. these are questions that you don't need us for mm-hmm. these are the questions that we can really help you with um and so that's like a dance that we often do at the program level mm-hmm. um to figure out like where are we best leveraged or like is the uxr team answering the the, the um, toughest questions the highest leverage questions that we that we could given our skill set and and um our unique capabilities. Mm-hmm. Can you give an example? Like what is, um, what is a good question? Maybe something that you would say, you know what, actually you don't need us for this and something else where you would say, yeah, this is for us. Like this is what we should be answering. Um, there are plenty of design questions. You don't need us to, to answer things like, you know, uh, are you, um, is this thing that you're doing um, different than anything else that you're doing in, in the product? Is it uh, bucking any consistent trends that are out there in the world? D- you don't need anybody's eyes on that. And you don't need us to do that kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Um, things that I think we are more uniquely qualified um, to help answer are things like, you know, is the, um, what is the um, opportunity around like messaging and like one-to-one um, collaboration Mm-hmm. Um, like we can help you identify what those opportunities are and like how to start prioritizing them. Mm-hmm. Um, we're more excited about like, what is the problem space? Yeah. What is the um, depth of pain felt mm-hmm. as opposed to how widely is that felt? Yep. Yeah. And so we partner with our PMM and our, our QMR um, um, teams to figure those other two things out. But we can say, like, this is a really big pain that people are having. Um, mm-hmm. I think the other thing that is we are great as helping give frameworks to people and help them think through um, something that is like more durable way to think about something than answer a single point in time question is yeah. another kind of like way I think about it. Mm-hmm. And do, um, so you've mentioned that the process is really collaborative, that you're getting the the other stakeholders involved all the way from the beginning, you know, about what questions should we be answering. 
when you go out to actually conduct the research, what, what is the role of product then? They're right there with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're right there with us. Um, collecting the data here, it's more, it's very remote, um, meaning there's a, they're sitting on calls. But the other way that I think is really important that they do a great job of, of participating in our debriefs. I'm a huge fan of debriefs. Mm-hmm. Debrief after, after you talk to the participant, you debrief like at the, you know, quarter mark of your project and, you know, however much. And then at the end, um, because like I was saying before, the um, the value there is the poking of the hole saying, I thought this, uh, what about this? Did you go at it this way? And you can, as you go, adjust your um, approach. Mm-hmm. If you need, And you can also be listening for, ponies that people have like oh that's mm-hmm. a, that's another time you brought that up you you really care about that thing okay i'm gonna have to make sure that we really nail that perspective otherwise it's going to come down in the end and you know we're not going to have a good answer for it so the role i think they play is like quite literally they're physically there mm-hmm. and then yeah. the other role that they play is like helping us shape um the the direction of like the kinds of answers we're um, looking for, because sometimes you don't, you don't know until you get in there and you're, when people hear, they're like, ah, this isn't the kinds of um, input that I was looking for. What I needed was was something else. I'm not talking about the answers. Like, I don't like that answer, but just like, ah, no, no, no. What I was really hoping for was this other thing. And so then we can adjust and tack together. So they're a real partner. Yeah, absolutely. I completely ascribe to the same perspective. So um, one of the things that I'm curious about is um, how does somebody, like, I guess, how many levels of researchers do you have and how does somebody kind of go up the, the, in their career as a, as a UX researcher? Yeah. So um, let's see. So we have like levels in a like um, growth path. And mm-hmm. I think that's pretty common in most companies, right? You go from an L whatever to an L, you know, 10 or something like this. Mm-hmm. So we have those, those types of ranges, but generally speaking, I, I mean, we, the kind of broadest way of talking about it, there's like junior mid and then senior and, and kind of like senior manager. One thing that we want to um, have a, better process and perspective well we have a good perspective we would have a better process for is the um non-manager people manager ic Mm -hmm. super super important to me and my team it's just a belief that we um hold very strongly is that um you don't have to be a people manager in order to be a leader it's not um it's not neither a philosophy that asana holds either you don't have to be a people manager to be a leader Um, but we want to make it really um, clear what that pathway looks like and what you get for um for choosing the path that you think is best for you yeah um and so we've recently put some things in place that help that growth path that you were asking about like how do you kind Mm -hmm. of move like again typically there you know the the things are like um, building up your toolkit, m- doing it in a repeatable fashion in multiple different um, scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's for, for management to help um, and, and mentorship to, to help create those opportunities. So kind of going through that. And then the other, um, besides craft, mm-hmm. being able to 
just tell your story and to and to be persuasive about it and help make a point because these are you know we're we're saying important things you know that have real impact on people and have real impact on the product and you have to be able to not just execute the research but make sure people believe in the research and that they're going to act yeah so how do you do that what are the key lessons there to get people to act yeah yeah so gosh that's a toughie. We've tried all kinds of things. You know, we use Asana, of course, from um, to track the work that we do, mm-hmm. our insights, and so it's referenceable. And so, um, as part of that, you know, everything is a task, so we can assign tasks and say, you know, this is your um, your area to focus on. Like this is yours. We found this insight. This is yours to own. Um, so we've tried that kind of approach, like, hey, every PM needs to address X number of insights across, you know, their um, roadmap, you know, that for this quarter or this episode, um, that works for some things, but not all things. We, I think what we have found has worked the best is being um, super close to our partners and getting things on the roadmap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting things on the roadmap usually is one way to, to make things happen depending on how good the team is at, at roadmapping in general, which is it's a whole other can of worms. Which is a whole other can of worms. But there are also little things mm-hmm. um, that we have, we've, we've just kind of, I think, gotten a really great process for, um, to, we call them um, snacks. And like, mm. there's a really great process that is, um, we work with uh, PM and there's a, um, there's a UXR um, representative and someone from Voice of the Customer and it's sort of a SWAT team that works together to kind of like, really move some of the small stuff through that we find or the PMs find um, in the DIY process and things like that. But it's just another way to get like things executed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't always only be working on the big stuff, right? Like sometimes you, That's right. you got to have the polish going on too. You do, you know, and that I found that out when I first joined us on I had those big thoughts. I like, there was like a team of three and, and I was like, We'll do. We'll each do a strategic project every episode. Mm-hmm. So that means like there would be like three uh, really big forward-thinking um, efforts that happened every three months. Mm-hmm. That's a lot, and then and then it's a lot of stuff. Like, yeah, how are people going to act on all this stuff? Like, is what we're telling them is like this is future big picture thinking stuff, and if I, we're cranking that stuff out all the time, like. It, no one's going to be able to do know what to do with it when I finally do get around to doing it stale. So mm-hmm. it took me a couple of years to get the cadence right of like how to go broad and then help, you know, where we go for gen, um, generative stuff to foundational. And so like that mix is it's taken time to, to figure that out. Yeah. Interesting that you call them episodes. Is there a history to that? Oh, you know, we've we've always been in episodes, and I don't know why. Okay, we've just that was our framework. Now we now we have episodes and um, and quarters, mm-hmm. but we still have held on to the episodes. And I I can't for the life of me remember why we why we started there. Mm-hmm. It's one of your own things, right? Sometimes it's one it's just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one of our things. Um. What what has been the most challenging about, you know, building and leading the research practice there? I think, um, 
I think what I might say is um, finding the right, the researcher with the right attitude and the right set of skills Mm -hmm. to, to grow with us. Mm. because I, I've had to promise things for a long time. Like when you're a small team, you do your, your um, mix, your balance is, is different, right? Like you have to do more um, program area work and it's probably more valuative than you want it to be. And you only get to do like a couple foundational things. And so I, I, the constant, like, Hey, like I, I swear we're going to get there. Like here's, here's this foundational or generative project. In the meantime, I need you to do this and sort of like, um, kind of like having the, pe- the right mix of people who are excited about ambiguity as I am, um, but who can see a future is a pretty special person. Mm-hmm. And then to find a, a, a bunch of those yeah. is, <laughs> who, is, who is different in their own way. Like team building is not particularly hard at a sauna. It's just a tough thing in general to make sure you have the right mix of people. Mm-hmm. And that, um, that dimension of being in a growth company is, I think that's probably been my biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, you know, when you're in a growth company, it all changes so often. It so does. You think you got it tuned right. And then you gotta retune it again. Uh, yeah. We're constantly changing process and, and updating, but I, I, really love process and I really love um kind of thinking through those things mm-hmm. um and so it, the reward is very high for me because also when when you're this close to it you the influence that you can have is so clear mm-hmm. and in bigger companies it can be slower further away from you diluted and that's just not the case here like to me the the um the effort is really uh, and the trust is really worth the the reward there but mm-hmm. not everybody shares the perspective right yeah um one of the other things that i know i had seen you write about was the the experience of working in b2b um how do you think that impacts what it's like to do ux research yeah um i think one of the biggest things i would say is that in the consumer world, there is way, there are way many more uh, ways for you to learn. There are other, um, everything's public. It's just mm-hmm. out there. If you're, if you are in retail, you just go, go shopping, like just mm-hmm. go online. Like it's there for you. You can, you can see how other people are doing their checkout process, how they're doing their, um, their wish lists. Like, and, and then you've got, things like Amazon training people, right? So you're like, okay, well, we know how, how they're going to work. Um, in B2B and SaaS, you just don't have that same um, opportunity. Like go, go, go try and like look at your competitor or go, go, like you can't just sort of like dabble in Salesforce and be like, oh, let me just do a quick over. Like mm-hmm. by design, they are handling complex workflows and, and, and uh, complex concepts and so it's very difficult to kind of get uh quickly up to speed or 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 like kind of understand how you might be able to leverage what other people are doing Mm -hmm. um and then again and from like a complex product like like this it's like you can't just be like okay now show me how you would find um a book Mm -hmm. and check out like that does like we don't have that luxury it's it's way more complex your own data is very important and all uh you know connecting the whole process is very important. So um, I think those are kind of like the two biggest things that um, come to mind for the differences. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I love the the complexity of the B2B space. It's like, I know. Yeah, it's so meaty. You get a lot of fun stuff to really uncover. And like when you find nuggets, it's so much, so rewarding. It's so rewarding. I'm totally with you, Holly. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, are there, I, this isn't a question I usually ask people, but I am curious if you could pick any other career in tech, what else would you do? Meaning I, uh, meaning I'm not at Asana or meaning I can't be a researcher. Can't be a researcher. Oh, Holly, that's the best <laughs> job. Um, I think if I weren't in, if I weren't in research, I'm going to cheat and say, I, I would want to be in strategy. Mm, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I, that would be the next fun thing. I would not want to be a designer. Everybody's got an opinion about a designer, you know, about design. I don't, wouldn't want that. I'm playing the role of PM right now, um, kind of like uh, filling in for one of my colleagues. Jury's still out on whether or not that would be something that I'd be excited about mm-hmm. uh, taking on full time. I think I would have to go think strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Um, is there, uh, is there anything that you wish you'd known like 15 years ago? And by the way, apologies on the New York siren in the back. (laughs) (laughs) If I'd have known, um, what's the, what's the rest of that sentence? I wish I'd have known to what? Oh, like 15 years ago about, you know, the career path that you were going down. Um, I think that's a good question. Like, uh, I feel very lucky in the mentors and the relationships and things that I've had. I do think that it is useful to be very close to business. Um. And so I might have forged more business relationships, but I think I'll kind of like pose a little, a little bit of a different question. Things that I felt particularly valuable okay. that I'm glad that I have had are that strong mentor and leader who is like fearless about whatever the current um, structure was and seeing like, I know the way it is now, but I know the way it could be, and I'm going to make that path happen. I've had a few of those people in my life, and I'm ever so grateful um, because I think that has helped me with amb- ambiguity and um, and see, see see past what's happening right now and, and get into the future, Being um, having connections to business and realizing that business is really important. That was a sapient um, thing that I, that I learned. And the ability to have... Um, dabbled in just about every discipline has really made my empathy meter higher for, you know, for everybody, you know, like I get when designers are feeling a certain way or um, when Eng is feeling a certain way, like I'm like, oh, yeah, I know I was a designer. I can totally get it. And so it really helps to be able to speak all those languages, even recruiting, mm-hmm. right? Like I, it's just very helpful. So I'm, I'm grateful to have, you know, kind of been a different version of um, the role and roles in so many different areas, like, and and consulting and small, big company, big company. And like, Mm -hmm. I just feel very grateful that I've got those, that perspective. Um, And I I feel also lucky that like, that's all kind of come together um, 
and being able to leverage that here at Asana, like I'm being able to pull on all those things. And now is just sort of like the right time for me to be able to, to leverage all that experience. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I feel happy for you that you've had such a wide <laughs> range of experiences. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. There are people who are like, this is their first, their first job or they've only worked in tech. And I'm like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's like interesting. Like I, it's, um, it's it's interesting to like I said to be able to have had so many different perspectives and can be helpful. Yeah, it it is. I I definitely find um, especially when you're at a place that has a lot of young people, you know, the world that they came of age in and entered the workforce in it was so tech at the forefront yeah. that you know it's just I feel like the whole perspective on it and and why they're pursuing this as a career is different. Um, I don't know about you, but like when I went into tech, for me, it was between the booms. And so it wasn't a time when everyone was angling for tech, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it was kind of like, and I live in New York city. So, you know, the hot thing to do here was to go to wall street and so exactly. not going to wall street was like really kind of a strange thing to do. <laughs> and I, I feel like, you know, that was, I mean, that's part of why I picked it. Like I didn't, I wasn't going to just follow a path. Like I was going to figure out what the path for me is. Well, look, now the path has come to you. I mean, New York has gotten to be quite, you know, the hotbed of of tech. Everybody's coming there now. Yeah, it's definitely grown a lot. And it's been really fun to see the the journey, you know, have been here back when there wasn't as much tech here. It wasn't so prominent and and see it, you know, really, you know, now we've got all the, you know, Facebook and Google and Twitter and everybody, Slack. They all have offices here too. And they're all recruiting here and, and, uh, you know, I guess one of the biggest changes for me has been the likelihood that I will be out at a random coffee shop and hear somebody talking about something like product management and be like, oh, well, yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> like, that didn't used to happen. <laughs> yeah. You're, yes. You're probably more likely to be surrounded by, by you know, that kind of um, those folks from, from there, like then you would have been probably even, I don't know, two or three years ago. It just feels like lately there's just a really big, a big boom, lots of Lots of people are are out there. It's still yeah. kind of new. It's interesting because you're right. Financial is is where it was at, and publishing and all those kinds of things. Yeah, advertising, advertising, media, yeah, fashion, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. And so now it's just kind of interesting to see like um, tech is like newish there. You know, in yes, the, the community anyway. Yeah, yeah, we definitely have a different vibe here. Um, yeah. So yeah, well. Um, are there any sort of final thoughts that, that you feel like, is there any topic we didn't cover that you want a chance to cover? Interesting question. Um, I mean, I think we, we, you know, kind of roamed the, the fields um, hither and thither. I think we've kind of covered everything. <laughs> yeah, um, that's how I like it to go. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's been super fun. Um, it's just, it's been super fun to talk. It has been. It's been really fun to talk to you too. Um, where can people find you if they want to follow you or learn more about, you know, the things you have to say? Uh, you know, LinkedIn is probably where I'm most prolific. I um, am really not a great social media um, person. I should probably be better at it, but I'm not. So um, LinkedIn is probably just the best and, you know, 
Beth Toland is is where I am there, and I, you know, I will I will you know publish or, or participate in a thing. But there are also a lot of great people who are in the community who are doing really cool stuff that I try and promote and make sure that um, they know what's going on too, because it's a it's a it's a big and very um, kind of loving community. There's just like everybody's willing to like throw up a hand and, and help out, and so. Um, I like to try and promote folks and their um, wisdom as well. Yeah, me too. I'm so glad to have you here sharing your wisdom. So thank you again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity, Holly. Product Science Podcast is brought to you by H2R Product Science. We teach startup founders and product leaders how to use the product science method to discover the strongest product opportunities and lay the foundations for high growth products, teams, and businesses. Learn more at h2rproductscience.com. Enjoying this episode? Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode. I also encourage you to visit us at productsciencepodcast.com to sign up for more information and resources from me and our guests. If you love the show, a rating and review would be greatly appreciated. Thank you.